Welcome to Rights Up Right Now, a mini episode of the Rights Up podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Kira Allman, and today we're talking to Professor Alison Young, an expert in UK constitutional law, about the forthcoming Supreme Court decision on the question of who has the authority to trigger Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty to start the formal process of the United Kingdom leaving the EU. It's one of the most controversial and consequential cases in UK legal history. The UK Supreme Court is expected to rule sometime next week in the case Miller and Dos Santos versus Secretary of State for exiting the European Union. The question is whether the government or parliament has the power to trigger Article 50. The High Court held that the government could not exercise its prerogative power to trigger Article 50 and that an act of parliament would be needed to formally start the Brexit process. The government appealed the case to the Supreme Court and we're waiting on a decision now. So I'm here with Professor Alison Young, who is going to tell us a bit about what we can expect from this decision. Hi, Alison. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It seems that suddenly UK constitution experts like you are in very high demand. Would you ever have anticipated that in the lead up to the EU referendum? It's been very interesting. It definitely was not what I was expecting, and it's not what I'm used to. So it's taken a lot of time for us to get used to it. Um, it was very interesting to see how quickly people reacted on social media as well. And, and social media has played a huge role in the case. So um, I'm very fortunate position to have taught some of the barristers as well. So it's, it's kind of interesting to, to know them as former students. And I know from looking at um, the information that was put before the court that there were lots of references to blog posts that people had said. So it's a very interesting new development that you know, we're blogging online and then that's been pleaded in court and people are discussing it. It's, it's very been very quick and very unexpected and, and very unusual position for us to be in. So I, I think what will happen is once the decision is out, it'll all die down again and I'll go back to my little room in the library and working away in, in, in relative obscurity. Well, I guess we'll see if it really does die down. So can you explain to us what's going on in the Miller case? What is the question the court is addressing? Okay, the case is mostly about who has the power to trigger Article 50, or really the source of that power. So the government is saying, well, we have a prerogative power, which means that the minister can just go away and trigger this, whereas the um, Miller is saying, no, I actually need legislation. So the government would have to go to Parliament, have an act of Parliament passed to empower them to go and trigger Article 50. So it's not about should we stay in Europe or should we leave Europe, it's just about how do we go about triggering Article 50 and starting the process of leaving the European Union. And why does this question matter? It matters both in terms of whether any conditions might be put on leaving the European Union and also mostly it matters for us in terms of what the relative powers are of the government and the legislature. So if the minister has to go to Parliament and ask for some legislation to empower them to act, then MPs could put conditions on that. So we've already had the Prime Minister say that she wants to protect workers' rights and she wants to think about protecting rights of EU citizens living in the UK and UK citizens living in the EU. So it might be Parliament looks at that and says, OK, we think that's important. So it's not just that you can leave as and when, but we'll say, yes, you can trigger Article 50, but a condition of that is you don't have the power to remove these rights. So it, it's a way of controlling, in some sense, what the minister can do. 
obviously no act of parliament is, is necessary. She can just go away and trigger Article 50 with no conditions. So that's one possible consequence. When you take a step back and look at the constitution as a whole, you're essentially saying, well, okay, the government doesn't have as many powers as it thinks it might do, particularly when it's entering into international treaties. And that can have all sorts of consequences because it's saying, well, you can't just withdraw from a treaty when you want to. Sometimes if it's going to have an impact on domestic rights, then you have to go to parliament to get the power to leave. So that can be a way of protecting our international obligations further. So that's the kind of more constitutional consequence. When you refer to the constitution, what do you mean exactly? I'm only asking because I think when a lot of us think of the UK constitution, we think of it as unwritten, sort of conceptually nebulous. What we mean is it's almost like this nebulous concept, but it's an amalgamation of legislation, of case law, of practices that, we, that are politically binding rather than legally binding. And most legal systems have a combination of case law, legislation and practice. What is unique about the UK, or well not fully unique, but what is, what is interesting about the UK is you can't go to a library and pull out a volume that says, here is the UK constitution. You have to go away and, and look at different sources of information. And in one sense, that can be good because it can evolve without causing crises. But in other senses, you get the situation that we've come up with. There isn't necessarily a very easy, simple answer to the question, do you have a prerogative power or not? we have to go away and analyse quite a lot of old case law and principles that come out from that case law to answer that question. So it, it can make it a little bit more difficult to understand the concepts, but there is still law there. It's just sometimes harder to find. What is the current relationship between EU law and UK law? Basically, the European Union is not like other international organisations. It can generate its own laws and it has these two key principles. It talks about the primacy of European Union law and it talks about EU law being directly effective. So this means that individuals can go to UK courts and rely on EU law automatically. And also it means if there's a conflict between EU law and UK law, then the UK courts are meant to apply EU law and not UK law. So that's how it works at the moment. And that means that lots of rights get protected in the UK by these European Union laws. And if there is a clash, then the extra protection from EU law can apply rather than the UK law. Obviously, as and when we leave, that will disappear. Okay, so what are the possible outcomes we could expect from the Miller case? So there are really two possible outcomes. Um, essentially, they will say either the High Court was wrong, there is a prerogative power, or they'll say Mr High Court was right, there is no prerogative power, meaning you need legislation. And then there's kind of two ways they might reach that conclusion. They might completely agree with the High Court and say there is this broad constitutional principle that prerogative powers cannot be used to alter domestic law. Or they might find a more narrow argument. So some narrower arguments were using this really old Bill of Rights, 1689, so been around for a very long time. And that says you can't use prerogative powers to suspend or frustrate legislation. So they might have a different way of reasoning and say it's this kind of narrower justification. Then just to add to the complications, if they decide that there is no prerogative power, so you need legislation. A second question that came up in the Supreme Court is to say, well, 
the UK isn't just Westminster, it isn't just England, it's England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. So separate arguments were made to say, well, if legislation is needed, then there'll need to be a role for Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland as well. And that will be another issue. If they say you do need to have legislation, then that'll be another issue the court will be looking at. Do we need to get their consent? Do we need to consult with them? What, what role do they have to play in that legislation process? And what are the short-term and long-term implications of the Miller decision likely to be, regardless of what the decision says specifically? Short-term implications, if the government is successful, then nothing happens in the short term. We, the government is able to trigger Article 50 when it wants to trigger Article 50 and the process starts rolling. If they say there is no prerogative power, then obviously short-term they've got to go and get some legislation enacted. And so that would require the House of Commons to consent to it, the House of Lords to consent to it, and also the monarch to give her assent as well. So you might think, okay, this could be a way of delaying it, but you have to think very carefully about how our system works. So the government is in charge of the legislative timetable, it proposes legislation, and in 2014 it enacted uh, what we call the DRIPA, which is not, not enforced anymore, the Data Retention Investigatory Powers Act, in five days. So it has a track record of getting legislation through quickly if it needs to, so they probably will still be able to trigger Article 50 according to their timetable short term. The real consequences become more long term. What if Parliament wanted to propose amendments to put conditions along the lines of saying, well, you can trigger Article 50, but we want an Act of Parliament to approve the agreement at the end of it, or we'll say, unless you've guaranteed these workers' rights or these other rights, then really we're not going to approve it. And that, so there could be potential long-term consequences, but that's up to Parliament to decide. The courts won't say anything along those lines. They will just say, you don't have a prerogative power, and then it's up to Parliament to decide what it's going to do in response to that. A big issue in the Leave campaign was the question of national sovereignty. There was this feeling that the UK had relinquished its lawmaking power to the EU. What impact is this decision likely to have on sovereignty? Or, I guess, what does this case tell us about the issue of sovereignty? It doesn't really have an impact on sovereignty. In a sense, what the court would be doing, if it sides in favour of legislation, is, is reinforcing parliamentary sovereignty because it's saying parliament has to have a say. So it's not having an impact in the sense of saying, oh, Parliament can't do various things. It's only really saying, well, if Parliament has to have its say, it has to have its say. So it doesn't have any direct consequences in terms of how far do we have to follow European Union or anything in, in those senses. Where it does have an impact, what people have been talking about, is this conflict between, well, is it the people who are sovereign or is it Parliament that's sovereign? And that has been kind of part of the subtext. So some people have looked at the decision and said, well, if Parliament has said the people decide in a referendum and the people decide they want to leave, then Parliament had its say. It can keep quiet now and it's up to the government to go and implement it. And others are saying, well, no, there's still a role for Parliament. There's still a need for Parliament to debate. All you've had a, a decision on is leave or remain. And then you still need parliamentary debate to discuss, well, what is in the best interest of the UK? Are there rights that we want to protect? And if so, how do we do it? So there still will be a need for a role for Parliament in that sense. So that's the kind of real consequence for sovereignty. How far is it the people who have the final say or how far do we need Parliament to say, well, 
we know where you want to go, but there are still these other issues we need to debate so we get it right. And what implications could the Miller decision have for human rights law in the UK? So uh, with regard to the decision itself, the possible consequences could be that um, if you do need an act of parliament, that does give a chance for members of parliament to say, well, there are some rights we, we want to make sure we don't lose and we want to make that a condition of leaving. So we did have um, two days ago when the Prime Minister set out her Brexit plan, she mentioned things like, I want to protect workers' rights. So it might be Parliament looks at that and says, well, okay, the Prime Minister wants to protect workers' rights, so maybe we would like to propose a situation that says, well, we want to make sure these rights that we do get from EU law remain. Again, it's up for them to decide, but that's one possible consequence. If we look long term, the European Union has played a very good role at giving protections of rights, particularly in worker situations and equality situations. And so long term, we're going to lose that kind of input from European Union law. So that doesn't necessarily mean we lose the right. I think it's an opportunity for us to say, well, OK, if that influence is going to go, we need to take a step back and say, well, how do we continue to protect those rights so we don't end up in a situation where we leave Europe, but somehow without realising it, start to lose some of the rights that we've got used to relying on in the UK. So it, it gives us an opportunity to bolster those rights in that situation. Is there anything else we should know about this case and its relationship to Brexit writ large? I think it's just important to, to reinforce that this is about the law. It's not about the courts trying to interfere with a political decision. It, it is literally about saying, what does our constitution say? When do they have the power to act? And that most of these consequences will then get fought over in the political arena as well as the legal arena. I think there's been quite a lot of, of concern that this is the courts going too far and getting involved in political issues. And I think one thing that the big media coverage has made very clear is if you were able to watch the judgment, you could see the live streaming. So you could see that they were really thinking about what does case law say, what does statute say, what what are the legal rules to do with our constitution. So I think it's been really fascinating for the public to see that in action and to see that this is what the courts do and they're there to look at the law, to protect rights. And I think that's been a really good lesson for, for people to see law in action in that way. Well, thank you so much, Alison, for talking with me today and shedding some light on the legal issues at stake here in the Miller case and its implications for Brexit. Thank you very much. Rights Up Right Now is a podcast of the Oxford Human Rights Hub. Subscribe or follow us on iTunes U, the Oxford Podcasting Service, or SoundCloud.